Well, hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Christy Jansen, Chief of Staff here at the World Business Academy. I'm here with Ronaldo Brudico, the Academy's President and Founder, and Benjamin Schwartz, our Assistant Producer. The World Business Academy is a 501c3 nonprofit action incubator dedicated to elevating the consciousness of people in the business community and encouraging business leaders to use their power and influence to take greater responsibility for the communities and the environment their work touches. We are recording this show on February 26, 2020. Before we get going, I would like to invite our listeners to reach out to us at info at worldbusiness.org if you have questions or comments about today's show, or if you have anything you would like for us to discuss in the future, we'd love to hear from you. And as always, you can listen to us on the go using Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio. Just search the World Business Academy. And it's been a bit of a crazy week, Ronaldo. I'm glad we're getting our second February podcast in. I wasn't sure if we'd be able to. Aren't we glad we could? Yeah. <laughs> but with this last uh, chaotic news cycle, I'm curious to see what your thoughts are well, I, I, um, for today. Yeah, good. So um, this is a half hour show, right? It's a half hour so show. We're going to try we'll to get quick. through this. Um, first of all, let's start with a good news story. Okay. For those people who are frustrated or even shocked or frankly discouraged, that what the press has been reporting since the impeachment was that Trump's popularity ratings and approval ratings had gone up substantially. And that was kind of like, wow, what a bummer. I mean, the guy was clearly guilty. The Republican Senate failed to do their job. And, and I don't know if you saw it, but 70 ex-U.S. senators have now written a letter to the U.S. Senate saying, do your darn job. Hmm. Did you see that? I didn't. Yeah, so. yeah. Chuck Nagel, uh, I know, was so one of them. So people who were in the Senate in the past. Who, yeah, who were writing their compatriots in the Senate today saying, wait a minute, we're supposed to be three branches of government, and you guys didn't do your job. You know, you're not doing oversight. And, and, and it's true right now, and this is, I'm quoting John Meacham, the famous historian, who, by the way, wrote the, LA, the, wrote the New York Times editorial today, which is interesting. Um, in, in the, Meacham said, correctly so, after the impeachment ended, it meant that we no longer had three branches of government. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the court system, Trump's well, it's already been that took over, co-opted and he, by the Republican, he, and he's put mm-hmm. all kinds of judges in there, like 100, and I think they're up to 170 judges now, and you know they've got the control of the Supreme Court, and they've been using it, it, it to create all kinds of decisions, which are very destructive. And that's not new, by the way. That's over the last five, six decades. Yeah, well, yeah, but it's, but, but I think Four, he brought decades. it to a head. Oh, I yeah. think that the oh, yeah. what the Mitch McConnell uh, mm-hmm. move to mm-hmm. deny Barack Obama his choice of a, a Supreme Court justice in order to put in someone very, very conservative, uh, one would argue someone who's not even a great jurist, but to do that meant that the court was permanently tipped. And then he got one more, uh, which was a, kind of a scandal because who they chose yeah. to put on the court had a very questionable uh, history uh, with women and with drinking. Um, but but the, the, the real issue is all those courts that are being hollowed out at the, at the primary level, at the, at the federal district court level, and then what happened just last week, there was a great dissent uh, by Sotomayor, mm-hmm. in which it, it's really, I recommend people read it. It was very thoughtful. It got, it got, it got misquoted by Trump and, and his people. But basically what she was saying is the Supreme Court is reaching down and granting stays way too fast to this administration. Yeah, with no real justification. No justification. And what they're doing is they're keeping the record from being developed adequately at the trial court level, which makes the job of being a Supreme Court even tougher. Mm-hmm. And I think that people 
yeah. without doubt, it's thoughtful, neutral observers, of which I count myself, of Supreme Court jurisprudence over the last, say, you know, since the inception of the country, uh, would say that this court has shown up as one of the worst in history. I mean, it's right up there with the Taney Court. That, yeah, her, her complaint wasn't political, it was procedural. It was procedural, and it was like it was saying, "Let's was remember what our job is." Yeah, right. it, it's it was, a substantive. Yeah. It, what is our job as a Supreme Court is not to decide things at the trial court level. Let them come up through mm-hmm. the proper the process. process. Yeah, and of course, why that's happening is because having packed the lower courts, the district courts, and having packed the Supreme Court, the problem Trump was having was in between courts. All mm-hmm. the appellate courts were still normal. Mm-hmm. And so the only way to get around it was to leapfrog down below them. So it meant that the court system as we know it is not functioning as an independent third arm of government. Clearly, the legislature, because of what the Senate did in, in plain sight, is not acting as an independent. So we only have one branch of government left, John Meacham observed, mm-hmm. and that's the executive. So what's, what's called a unitary executive, which uh, is kind of frightening on a lot of levels, including that that's why we had the revolution in the first place, was to get rid of a unitary executive called the king. And now we have a unitary executive who's an autocrat, uh, who I would say there's a better than 50-60% chance will end up either a dictator or a king, self-appointed, because I don't see what institutions in society are left to stop him, including the electoral process. Because remember what he was being accused of, and I would argue clearly the evidence held, was that he was jeopardizing the free and fair election coming up in 2020. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that the Russians have the ability to literally change the vote count in our voting machines, literally demonstrated in Florida last time around, um, and there's... Thir- How is this a good news story? I'm going to get there. <laughs> 13 states have no paper ballot backup and no plans to get one. And there are no plans that I know of to do anything with the $250 million, which is chump change, to try and protect the electoral process. So we're probably not going to have a fair election. I was asking two uh, congressmen and the um, chairman of the uh, National Association of State uh, uh, Secretaries, uh, what are you guys doing to protect the system? And the answer is, well, we're really good shape in California. Fine. I'm not worried about California. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, what about I, Kentucky? What about Kentucky, where the, there are no paper ballots yeah. and where Mitch McConnell will rise or fall based on what the Russians want, and I'm sure they want him in. So the question becomes... Let's say that he lost by 3 million votes last time. Let's say he loses by 6 million votes this time, real votes. But he takes the Electoral College. Okay. That would indicate how badly broken the system is. I would argue that 3 million plus votes that he won, it's already broken. At 6 million, he's still going to win mm-hmm. because you can turn that many dials and that mm-hmm. many electoral votes and you end up with Trump. How is this a good news story? Great yes, question. Big question in my mind. Because in the face of all of that, which has caused people to get frustrated... In many cases, I think people are getting really turned off now. Clearly, people are getting scared. Uh, there's a lot of fear in the space right now, and appropriately so. Mm-hmm. The good news is there was an interesting analysis done about the statistics that were showing how Trump's popularity approval rating actually went up after the impeachment. And I couldn't understand that at all. I could not begin for the life of me to see how that could possibly be possible. And it turns out it's not. That's the good news story. It turns out that people were not overly impressed with Trump getting away with an acquittal, and that what had caused the appearance of a bump was a historical methodology used to adjust raw vote, uh, raw survey material, on the premise that Republicans tended to under-respond by 10% surveys, so they would change the raw number by an adjustment to allow for the fact that the Republicans weren't evenly represented, theoretically, in the survey, although no one counted to see if they were. Mm-hmm. 
and they applied this adjustment, and which showed this bump in, in Trump's um, uh, statistical rating. However, the Economist of all people, which I love, it's because the Economist. I mean, like it's not like a right wing. It's not like a left wing publication. Basically, decided to do an analysis to check and see if that was really true. They hired the Pew Research Center mm-hmm. to do a survey where they actually didn't do the adjustment. And lo and behold, the number came out exactly where it was before impeachment. So it's clear that Trump's approval rating uh, is about, accurately, about 41%. It's never gotten 44%. And I would argue that's a weak 41%, and I suspect it's actually going to dip below that as time goes on for a couple of reasons. So the good news is things aren't as bad as we thought, and the bad news is they're worse. (laughs) How are they worse? Well, they're worse because what Trump has done six times in his life already is go bankrupt. Now, I want you to think about what that means. That's one of his expert uh, qualifications. How do you do that? The only way you can go bankrupt six times is if you refuse to learn from the first five. Right? If you refuse to learn anything from your experience, you keep doing the same thing over and over again because you're probably mentally defective. And you end up with... Another bankruptcy. I think what we're watching right now is the bankruptcy of the United States of America. It's happening. It's, we're being hollowed out. And the trajectory that we're on is inescapable to me. So the trajectory we're on is one where we are going to have continuing disruption from the coronavirus. How long it will last, how big an impact, I do not know. But clearly, if you're Apple, you're having trouble getting your phones built. Clearly, the GDP of the globe is going to go down. Clearly, you're already having adverse impacts on Europe. And Europe was already stagnating, with the exception of France. And even France had a bad fourth quarter. So, and Japan, which I'm going to get to in a minute, is also having terrible problems. So in a global economy that's getting weaker, that's increasingly interdependent, what Trump is doing is making all the wrong moves. So the errors are now compounding on themselves. And unlike the stuff he does with domestic politics, you can't spin that away. Okay? You can't spin what the numbers are. You, 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 you can adjust them. You can play with them. And I think we do play a lot with the employment numbers. But at the end of the day, things are either getting better or they're not. And I believe that things are not getting better. And there was a new book that just came out uh, today, I think, from the Heritage Foundation, and it's um, which is a very famous right-wing think tank, basically saying, no, that's not true. The the middle class is better off than they've ever been in 30 years. And so the way they did that analysis, by the way. Do they define the middle class in a Yeah, they sort of did. But, But here's what's interesting. Uh, they cherry-picked the numbers, obviously. Mm-hmm. And what they did is they, they looked at increased buying power of the middle class in the last 30 years. But what they didn't look at were the increased costs associated that that buying power had to cover. So they didn't. So there's no adjustment for the mm-hmm. fact that the cost of medical care has gone up so radically, mm-hmm. including uh, co-pays and, 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 and whatnot. They didn't adjust for the fact that Wisconsin had its biggest number of uh, farm bankruptcies probably in the last, well, since the, I'm going to guess since the Great Depression, actually. So there's a lot of stuff happening that's not, imp- that your theoretical buying power isn't what matters. What matters is what can you afford. Mm-hmm. I don't think they adequately took into account the cost of living from the point of view of, of rents and home ownership. And they certainly did not take into account the drain on resources of the financial debt that's now racked up for 46 million people on student loans. Yes. Okay. So there's all these things happening that aren't in the abstract. And so that's why I think the study is defective. Okay. So the good news is people are not as bamboozled by that whole impeachment as we were told. 
So the Trump bump is a bogus bump. The Trump bump is a bogus one. But it's still he still has a 41% approval, which doesn't make any sense to me, and I think will go down. Now, how far down it will go is a function of whether or not the people in that 41% are all parts of his cult, in which case it won't budge, or if, let's say, as I believe is the case, 35 or 36% are part of the cult, which means he could literally shoot somebody on Madison Avenue and for Fifth Avenue and they'd be okay with it. I think there's at least 6 or 7% on that 41 who are actually happy that they got the tax break they got, happy that their share purchase thing went through. They're happy with, with the way the, the Fed's been pumping money into the economy. At the same time, those people are going to get very nervous when the economy gets rocky. Mm-hmm. So I don't think the 41% will hold. I'm going to guess that by the time we get to the election in November, it'll be down closer to 37%, which is interesting because that's a third. And that means two-thirds are up for play. And there's this funny cartoon in The Economist, which you got a kick out of earlier, yes. where there's a, the, the guy has got a sign up saying, anyone but Trump is a Democratic donkey. And along comes a, a guy in a, in a vest and he goes, Bernie or bust. And the anyone but Trump donkey throws his sign away and puts up a new one. Anyone else? (laughs) After having said anyone but Trump. So we we have an interesting dilemma and a dynamic going on in the Democratic debates. I saw it last night. I thought it it was a bad example of a food fight gone wrong. And yet I think that the 90% of the policies of all seven of the people on the stage were the same. The way they would execute them. Uh, the things that they would, the, 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 like someone like Bernie will go to try and go a lot further faster if he's allowed, but he won't be allowed because it's not like he's, he's not going to be, they're never going to have another unchecked president if we get a, a new president after Trump because they now know what they did. So I think that we're going to have an interesting time with dealing with the economy. So let's me look, let, me, let me look at the economy. I want to start with Japan because people often forget about Japan and they should. For many years, it was the second largest economy in the world. It's still probably the third, I'm going to guess. Um, and even, even compared to European countries? Yeah, because now Brexit doesn't count. Okay. And we're going to talk about Brexit. So when you take England out of it, I think they're now going to be bigger than what's left in Europe. Anyway, but it's, it's right there. It's a push. So third or fourth. So their economy shrank by 6.3% at an annualized rate. That's a recession of that's, significant proportion. significant. Very, and it happened because Abenomics, which is Shinzo Abe, the prime minister's name for what he's doing. In 2014, he tried something really stupid and it didn't work and he doubled down in 2019, 2020. This is Abe. Yeah, and it's his consumption tax. Mm -hmm. So the same thing that Angela Merkel did wrong in Germany, which was austerity. Mm -hmm. The same thing that May did wrong in Britain, austerity. The same thing that um, Abe is doing in Japan, austerity hasn't worked one time yet again. So when the consumption tax we put in, the first one was at 8% uh, in 2014. They had a significant downturn in the economy. It raised itself to 10%, I think, at the end of October last year. And they went down to 10% as opposed to 8% contraction of spending, consumer spending. So the net effect was a 6.3% contraction in the entire economy. Well, China is going to have a hard time going sideways with all its factories closed certainly for the current quarter. And we don't know when the coronavirus thing will end. If it lasts a couple more quarters, there's going to be all hell to pay. But even if it's if it was ended today, which it won't be, China got hurt badly. Its factories have been closed a long time. So how is its export muscle going to flex? And I think that there are companies, particularly in, in middle market countries like Germany, to a lesser extent in the UK because they'll be affected by other things, that have been sending a lot of stuff to China to, to feed its manufacturing base. 
those aren't those things aren't getting made anymore, right? And they're not getting sent there anymore. And at the same time, the Chinese can't make the phones that, with the hand labor and send them out to us as easily. So I see China having a significant contraction, something that um, we need to be looking at. Speaking of coronavirus, you know, we we didn't talk about the human toil toll of this this terrible disease and. Apart from the people who've died in China, and then, well, I guess now 85,000 people have contracted the disease there. Uh, clearly, Italy's having a tremendous problem. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in Europe, it's the country most affected in terms of uh, contagion, uh, and they're trying desperately now to bottle it up. Uh, but on top of that is what's going on in Iran. Yeah, that's scary. It's the most deadly outbreak of coronavirus after China, and it's growing rapidly. And I think it's happening because the country has compromised immune systems to begin with. And I think that when that disease leaks into the rest of the Middle East, you're going to see a tremendous death toll mm-hmm. and a huge amount of chance that it will then repopulate itself across the globe. Right. Uh, same thing with Africa, where people's immune systems are compromised to begin with. Well, and also they don't have the, the health infrastructure, the health care infrastructure right. Right. to keep them, yeah. to keep people And unlike healthy. Ebola, when, you know, Obama's administration was responsible, let's put a billion dollars and let's help the Africans stop this. We're not doing anything to help the Iranians, Italians, or the Africans stop it. And in a world as interconnected as we are, that means it's going to come back to haunt us. Absolutely. And and the Trump, what it was, his tweet yesterday, oh, everything's fine. Well, it's not. We've even, got even, it under control, which means we do not have it under control. No, we don't. And even the CDC says we don't. No, but, you know, yeah. and, and, and so we've seen the economic impact with the dramatic cutback in tourism. Look at the stocks of shipping companies like, uh, you know, the, uh, yeah. the, the, the... Even MasterCard reported lower earnings yeah, and it's, based it, on coronavirus. And, and it's just starting. And, and, and just mm-hmm. to give you some idea how much deadlier this thing is, People are going, well, how deadly is it? Well, the common flu, you get about one-tenth of 1% die from it. Coronavirus, you're getting 2%. That's 20 times more deadly than the, the flu. common flu. Yeah. And we know and flu kills a lot be, of people. And it's, but it seems to be equally communicable. They, I mean, they, ha- they don't more, really know. It may they be don't more really because yet. we yeah. now know for a fact that 14 days quarantine is not enough. Mm-hmm. So how much is? And how did somebody get it who was quarantined for 14 days and then they still get it mm-hmm. after 14 days when they've been in isolation? So there's these questions about how it's being passed that we don't know. It seems to be mild unless you have a compromised immune system. By the way, one piece of good news, according to the CDC, it's not attacking or passing amongst children the way the flu does. Mm-hmm. The flu is the big, biggest thing with children, right? Kids mm-hmm. bring little germ magnets. Not happening with coronavirus. The children are not being impacted as much no, as... it's the older people. It's older the elderly. People. Yeah. Elderly yeah. people with uh, compromised immune systems. Yeah, so how is it spreading? Because usually the kids, you know, put their fingers in the mouth and they play with other kids and that's how it spreads. Isn't happening with kids right now. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what that means. But the human toll is going to be enormous. Therefore, the economic implications we talked about a minute ago are going to get worse mm-hmm. until we see the end of it, which we haven't begun to see the end yet. So I just think that's worth considering. Now, uh, I think everybody is looking at the stock market. It just had its couple of worst days since 2008. Yeah, it's down at 7%. It was as of yesterday. Today's down at 8. Oh, okay. So it yeah. dropped another point today. So it was down uh, uh, 3.5% on Monday, 3% on Tuesday, and at least one more point today, a little over a point. And um, frankly, I don't know why it wouldn't keep dropping. Now, I'm sure that there's enough people with enough money invested that they're going to do everything they can to pump this thing up back up in the air, put more air in the tire. But at the end of the day, the, the economy that the, the, the stock market is looking at, even though they say it's all about coronavirus, it's not. Mm-hmm. What it's really about is the market's been overbought. It's been that way for a long time. And everybody's looking around going, gosh, how long can this keep going up, can keep going up? And the belief was, as long as the Fed keeps pumping money, the stock market will keep going up. That's true 
for a certain length of time. I think that is beginning to play itself out. And if it is beginning to play itself out, then there's no countervailing force to the economic headwinds I just described that we're heading with. So those are global economic headwinds. There are the headwinds of what we're going to do as an export economy. There's the question of whether or not our consumers will consume at the same pace when the price of our goods keeps going up because mm-hmm. Walmart can't get the same stuff cheaper over right. in China. The, There's a lot of these questions. There. But what everybody gets for sure is that a 8% drop in the stock market in three days is not a good sign. Mm-hmm. And my recommendation would be, if you and I, this is the most frequent question I get, is it too late to buy gold? No. It's not too late to buy gold. Even though gold is at 1640 today, uh, it's still below where I think it's going to go over the long term. Mm-hmm. And so I do continue to urge people to do that. Now, let me, let me just do a quick thing on Brexit, and I want to do something in the Philippines. Brexit is beginning to be felt. No one has felt the pain yet in Britain because the trade rules haven't been written that will now choke back the trading between, the two, between that country, England, and the continent. As those get written, however, and just the uncertainty itself, I think, is beginning to damage the economy there. But as those rules get written, you can be sure England is not going to have access to the European market the way it did before. And that's by far its biggest customer. Yeah. One thing I think Benjamin was mentioning to me earlier today, that Brexit, the planning for it and all of the costs associated with it so far have been significantly higher than all of the 47 years of payments to the EU. For, for the UK. Oh, and yeah. That, and, you know, the actual costs associated with decoupling themselves from the UK the whole are nuts. way ahead of whatever well, they, whatever well, their well, annual it, yeah, cost was in the last 20 just years. look at the word you chose, UK, which stands for United Kingdom, which would imply that Scotland's still going to be there, and I don't think they are. I think Scotland's going to be gone. I think well, Northern, Ireland is looking at Northern Ireland <laughs> and, and Ireland, I think, are going to merge because it's the best thing for Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. They, they need to have the open border to Southern Ireland. Uh, and I think that now that Northern, that Southern Ireland is no longer a papist state, it's, it's you know, you can be gay in Northern, you can be the gay prime minister, actually. You can be gay, you can be, um, you, you, I, I believe that um, women have rights to control their body now in terms of abortion. I think that there are any number of uh, secular yeah, policies. Yeah, secular policies. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that takes away a lot of the rub for what made the Northern Irish go crazy in the first place. The other one thing that people should never forget is the demographics of Northern Ireland are now that there are more Catholics in Northern Ireland than there are non-Catholics. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? That's the first. Okay, since the trouble started. So I think that the Brexit issue is not only going to be the unraveling of Britain economically, it's the unraveling of Britain politically. And I think they kind of knew that was coming, but for whatever reason, they didn't care. And I think Boris Johnson, who's extremely popular right now, I mean, I, I just can't imagine what they're going to write about this guy in two years. But it ain't going to be pleasant, I don't think. Now, let's take the opposite course. Macron in France. Macron actually is doing a phenomenal job. I, I, I was just sharing with you before we went on the air. Um, no one since World War II has been willing to tackle the intransigency of French labor laws and pension system. And this guy Macron... The longer he's in power, the less popular he is, and the better his stuff is working. I, I, I was quoting you some of the statistics. I think, I think it's just fascinating. Uh, France, the number of new companies created surged to 815,000 in the fourth quarter of 2019 alone, which is a 38% increase. Mm-hmm. Why? Because now you can hire and fire people. 
which you couldn't do before. So you didn't want to hire somebody because once you did that, you couldn't fire them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the, the the French labor laws were unbelievably intractable. Um, the other thing he did is he, he they dramatically increased the number of apprenticeships, which we need to do in this country, by the way. Not everybody's supposed to go to college. And if they do go to college, they're not supposed to go to a four-year college and get an advanced degree. Mm -hmm. Some people ought to be butchers and bakers and candlestick makers. But even, even without those kinds of trades, having an apprenticeship can actually give you the kinds of skills that you need to actually be successful. I mean, I'm thinking of sales. Do you really need a four-year college degree to be a successful salesperson? No, not necessarily. Not Depending necessarily. On, not in retail sales. And 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 some of those some some industries you're better off actually going up through the industry and learning on the job. Yeah, and I think you know, um, and unless college and university is free, which it should be, we should have free education from pre-K on, no question. I think and I think that's coming if if we survive the Trump era. Then I think the uh, the opportunity here is to see this country begin to diversify its workforce so we provide college and university training as mental training, as, as life preparation. Right. And we don't see it as the way to get your next job because your next job may be you're going to be a great baker. Mm -hmm. and but I'm, I'm saying even even not manual or, or sort of, quotes, blue-collar jobs, I think some there's a lot of white-collar work, which you don't necessarily need to have. I agree. You know, I agree. No, no, to I, I totally agree. I mean, to look, be successful at. do you remember, okay, quick question. Does anybody remember what was George Washington's civilian occupation? Uh, wasn't he a, a cartographer? He was surveyor. a surveyor. He was yeah. a surveyor. Yeah. The only way to be a surveyor was apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. I mean, the father of the country did it that way. So what's wrong with apprenticeships? Anyway, in France, they've increased the apprenticeships by 16% to a high of 491,000 Frenchmen and women are now in apprenticeships. And those are all young people that were probably previously unemployed. So the, the French unemployment rate, which has never been this low since 2008, is now actually below 8% which is kind of amazing. And I think the lowest they hit in 2008 was 7.3% before it went crazy. So they're on, a, they're on a track to beat the 2008 number, which was artificially inflated. So Macron, who continues to produce, and, and his biggest reform, of course, is the pensions. There, mm -hmm. I think there's like 50 plus separate pensions just for government and state workers kind of thing. And, and he's combining them all with a rationalized approach to what they can do with pensions and how they're gonna work. And labor is crazy mad about it, and that's why there was a strike that started in December, which has just fizzled out two weeks ago. I mean, they've been going for months on this thing. Macron won, and he's going to get that through the lower house of, uh, of the French parliament, I think, probably by the end of March. And when he does, that one reform will, will eclipse all the other forms combined. So he's doing something really interesting. Now, France outgrew Germany last quarter. No, they I guess in um, last year, mm -hmm. they did a 1.2% year-over-year year gain. Germany didn't do quite that well. The fourth quarter, France is already starting to feel the pain of all the strikes. Okay. So I think they went below Germany and negative there. But I'm long-term, with England leaving the, the European Union, with Angela Merkel's economic policy clearly proven wrong, and Angela Merkel now basically on the bench, and no one coming to the plate to replace her, because her, her heir apparent, basically, as you know, resigned yeah, the position resigned. just a week ago. I think that Macron has successfully become the new leader of Europe. And I think Europe has become the rational country of the world that's beginning to look at questions like, how do you tax tech? Uh, how, do you, how do you manage monopolies? Um, how, even when they're companies where the two companies that are both European, like Alstom and Siemens. And they said, that's anti-competitive. They broke it up. 
Well, I think these kinds of questions are fascinating because it means that Europe is going to be coming on strong in rebuilding itself internally at precisely the time that the U.S. is not. Mm-hmm. And at precisely the time when China's in terrible trouble and when Japan's in terrible trouble. I just want to touch briefly on the Philippines because Duterte, who's the president there, been in office for three years, is clearly a, a murderer, a mass murderer. I mean, no question what he's doing, killing people mm-hmm. who are suspected of being drug dealers, but are really just poor people in the wrong place at the wrong time. The one thing he's doing right, and it's very effective, is he's doing infrastructure. And he's doing it really smart. He's got so many projects on the board now, and many of them are already coming to completion. By the time he leaves office in 2022, there's, there's an estimate he could have as many as 100 of those projects done. Anything over 50 would be massive change for the Philippines. And that's the same country that's now throwing us out. Right. The U.S. bases are now in jeopardy. Why? Because when the Philippines looked at what the U.S. was doing, you know, this is before coronavirus, and they looked at China, and they said, hmm, got to pick a side. I'm on the Chinese side from now on. And that's what's happening around the world. The U.S. is now without allies of any consequence. And the only allies we do have are autocrats or people who have questionable policies. And I, I feel very sad to report, I think, Modi of India is one of them. Mm-hmm. So here's a guy who is taking a secular nation, the largest democracy in the world, India, and turning it into a religious country. State. And, yeah. and, and, it's, and, and it's exactly what... Gandhi and Nehru fought Mm -hmm. in 1947. So I I just think it's time for us to look at that. We're not going to have time to touch on some other things that are interesting, like why did Bob Iger resign so quickly at Disney when everything's going well? Is he sick? Is it a Me Too thing? Or can we take him at his word? It just happened because the timing was so good because um, his Disney Plus thing has really turned out well with 30 million uh, subscribers. Uh, We won't have time to talk at length about the global shortages. I will mention briefly the refinery fire that just, just and happened And global today. shortages in relation to coronavirus, you mean? Yeah. That, just sort of the... the yeah, global shortages of, of everything because, the, the, yeah. the, as I said... Chinese are central in the well, supply the, chain. The, the global economy yeah. is so yeah. intertied that when you yeah. look at the Chinese and what's yeah. happening to the Germans and the, and the Japanese and all the stuff I talked about for the first 20 minutes of the show, that's what's impacting on it. Those, those are creating global shortages. And those countries, France being one of them, that rebuild with their internal markets will outperform countries like ours that will need to do it with external markets, which won't be there. Mm-hmm. So and we won't have time to talk about the fire in Carson, which just happened today in California. But Carson, uh, that fire is one of the largest plants in, 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 I think it's 18% of all the fuel that comes into California gas tanks comes from that one plant, mm-hmm. which is now closed. Uh, and at a time when oil prices are dropping significantly, as they should, we're under $50 a barrel now with West Texas Intermediate Crude. Um, the reality is that the closure of that one plant will have a tremendous negative impact on the state of California in terms of the cost of fuel because mm-hmm. it'll go up now, right? Fortunately for California, the economy is otherwise doing very well right now, and I think it'll be able to absorb that hiccup without, without much of a problem. I do think it's important that we start focusing on the vulnerability of oil refineries generally, They tend to be old, they tend to be in the wrong geographic locations with climate change coming and with other issues that are really on the horizon, even with the Trump administration releasing them from normal EPA requirements, I see those refineries as in some peril. Mm -hmm. And certainly the total capacity of those refineries is in peril. That said, um, the idea of continuing to lower interest rates past zero doesn't make any sense. I don't see a lot that we're doing to create a, uh, a plan for what we're gonna do with this softening global market. And so I'm not optimistic about the US economy over the next nine months. Let's see.
so far, the interest rates have flooded it with money to keep the markets up and to mm-hmm. keep people happy. Don't know if that can continue. It seems to me that that's, that's a balloon that just hasn't got enough air in it right now. But we will see. And I'll close with this happy thought for all of those of you who listened to us starting in 2018 to buy gold. Looks like you were right. <laughs> we did a good yeah. one there for our listeners. Yeah. And that's why I started by saying it's not too late to keep buying. It it's is. up at 1640 today. Yeah. Yeah. It and was at 1100 and something when we started on that like, purchase. Well, it was 1214 in October of 2018. Yeah. By the way, the VIX, I haven't talked about the VIX in a while. VIX is up, obviously. Uh, And I think that's not temporary. So um, I I wish everybody a really good February. This is a close. Um, It's a leap year. We'll never have another February 29th for four years. Take us another four years to get there. Uh, anyway, so this will be the, this is that show, right? This is our leap. Isn't this our leap year show? Is it going to come out on the 29th? It'll come. Hopefully, we can get it posted by the 28th. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. We won't have to worry about it. We can do it again yeah. and not wait four years. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening, and uh, please send us some questions and comments. We'd love to hear from you, and we will address those on the air or separately or individually. Yeah. Great. Thanks very much. Have a great day, and we'll we'll be doing this again soon. Great.